Parsha Pikudei is the last Parsha in the book of Exodus. It completes the building of the temple. And here we're going to learn what the Jews did with the temple, with all the, all the pieces that they prepared for the erecting of the temple, of the temp, a temporary sanctuary, what is used to call the Mishkan. Go ahead. Source number one. All the work of the tabernacle was completed, the children of Israel had done, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they had done. They brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, planks, bars, pillars, and sockets. There was a lot of stuff that they walked on. took them a few months to build the temple, to prepare it. What happened here is something very interesting. Right after Yom Kippur, Moses went down from Mount Sinai, and he told the Jews they can build the temple. That's what we learned yesterday by Yakil. He gathered the community, and he told them the news. He told them what needs to be done, and they did it. They thought, and the, the, they were finishing all this preparation in two months. By Hanukkah, they were ready with, all the ter- with, with everything. Hanukkah didn't exist then. Hanukkah came much later. But on the 25th of Kislev, the temple was ready to put together, to build it up, to put it up. But God decided that he wants to inaugurate the temple on the month of Nisan, the month that the Jews left Egypt. That, the, that for a few months, all, everything was laying, waiting for, for the date, for the right date. That's why the Medrash says that God had paid off the 25th of Kislev, that many years later, it was an inauguration of the temple, rededication, rededication of the temple after the Greeks um, violated the temple by putting the, moose, the Zeus there. It was a special idol. And the, and the Maccabees came in and cleaned up the, cleaned up the temple. They, dedica- they rededicated the temple on the 25th of Kislev. Mm. Then it uh, took time, but eventually this day became a special day in Jewish history. It was meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Okay, continue. In accordance. In accordance with all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel do all the work. Moses saw the entire work, and lo, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done. So Moses blessed them. What was Moses blessing them? He told them, May it be the will of God, that the Shechina should rest in your walk. What does this mean? It means to say, the whole purpose of the temple was to make a house for God. Now Moshe, after the building, a building, when they all finished the whole thing, Moshe says, I wish, guys, that actually God will rest here. You know, you can build a home, you can build a building, you can do all the right thing, and then God is not coming down for whatever reason. He said that it was a literal, it was a blessing, it was a prayer. May it be that the Shechina should, uh, should rest in, 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 this, in, in this house. That was the Shechina was. Okay, that's the blessing that Moses gave them. I hope, he said, I bless you that whatever you worked so hard should actually be food, and God should come and rest among us. How they knew that God, God rest among them? They knew it by, first of all, it was the clouds of the glory used to rest on top of the temple, but also there were miracles in the temple. For example, the fire on the altar always burned in the in the altar in the first temple in Jerusalem, but also even more in the desert. Even if they didn't put wood, it used to burn. To a point when they traveled, they, used to, they had to cover the, they, they covered all the furniture and traveled with them. 
they had to put on top of the altar a special medal because it was always a fire there. If you put cloth to cover, they will burn. Even in tra during traveling, the fire never extinguished. That was one of the miracles that took place in the temple, that they knew that God is there. That was the indication that God is there. The other indication was when they light the menorah, it was enough for just to put oil for a whole night. All the candles burned out in the morning, and one candle is to burn until next evening. That's why we have in the synagogue the eternal light, reflecting on the eternal light in the temple. What I mean to say, that's how they knew that the Shekhinah is inside the temple. And that's the blessing that Moses gave them. Later, we will learn in the next, and we read in the Torah, it was not so simple to bring down the, fire, the, the, the presence of God to the temple. Aaron tried, and nothing happened, and this, and then Moses came in, and Moses, you know, Moses is Moses. You know, by the end of the day, you need Moses. <laughs> Moses came in, and he made a real prayer, and he brought down the Shekhinah. Everybody else couldn't make it. And that maybe it's because I made the golden calf, therefore Hashem is angry with me. But then when Moses gave them the blessing, he knew that this business, you can build many buildings, but the blessing of Hashem, you need a special blessing to get the blessing of Hashem. That's source number one. You want to read source number two? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first month, the first day of the month, you shall set up the tabernacle. It came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was set up. Moses set up the tabernacle, placed its sockets, put up its planks, put in its bars, and set up its pillars. Let's stop right in this paragraph. You'll see something interesting. It came to pass on the first month, in the second year, yeah, yeah, that the tabernacle was set up. Set up. Then it's written, Moses set up the tabernacle. What is this? Like repeating itself. Make a, Moses set up the tabernacle. The tabernacle was set up. What, what happened there? What the Torah, the Torah is trying to tell us something here. Go ahead, continue. Soon we'll see what it means. Um, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the Comes Rashi and talks about this point that I just made, made uh, pointed out to you. The, ta the tabernacle was set up. And then Moses set up the tabernacle. What does this mean? It was set up by whom? Looks like by, by, before by somebody. Then it's written, Moses set up the tabernacle. It's repeating itself. Read, read the source number three. They brought the uh, tabernacle to Moses, uh, etc. Uh, they alone uh, could not erect it. Since Moses they alone could not erect it, says Rashi. The Jewish people couldn't put together the temple. Soon we'll talk about it. Go ahead. Since Moses had done no work in the tabernacle, God left, uh, left uh, for him the task of... Because Moses did not do physically any work in the tabernacle, he was the chief. Then Hashem wanted to give him a chance to do something. He says, I want you to put it together. Had he done enough by now? I mean, did he deserve a break? It's not because he didn't enough. We, we want it because when something is done by Moses, uh, it's, it's a different doing. It's forever. Also, yeah, that was the thing, but if Moses built it, it's still cost, and that's why he didn't cost it. Right, and whatever did, God Moses did was forever. So we'll be everlasting, so that's why... We want them to do it. It's an honor for us that he will do it. Go ahead. Since no human being could erect it by himself, because of the heaven, heaviness of the planks... Heaviness of the, of the, of the planks. They were, you see, the temple had special beams for the walls. Every beam was, how tall was it? 
about the 10 cubits. 10 cubits was tall. A cubit is a foot and a half. And it's 15 feet tall. How wide was it? One and a half cubits. It means three feet wide. How thick was it? One, uh, one and a half feet thick. Piece of wood. This is huge. Now, in the, they covered every piece of wood with gold. Gold is also heavy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how, how, much, how, much, how much will be the wood for such a beam? How many beams are there? 48 beams. 48 beams you probably... No, for one beam, I want to know how... Maybe, maybe 50 kilos of gold today, which is I about mean, uh, 200 ounces of gold, 100 pounds of gold, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. We're covering things. It's all yeah, a lot of gold. Really, really thin. No, 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 no. Be amazed how much it covers. Now, but even then, the point is, every beam, they make calculation a ton, every beam was, was heavy. It was acacia wood that was very heavy. Yeah. Then to pick up such a beam takes effort. It says nobody was, Ashi says nobody was able to, to pick this up. Continue. Actually, acacia wood for its size is light. Strong and light, actually, but it's so big. It's big. It's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Please. Uh, because of the and also, they had to put it in the special uh, foundation that made out of silver, and to connect all of them, it was a huge job. That's life, boy. That's like when you you try to say something, your wife stops in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, continue. Because of the heaviness of the planes, and no human was strong enough to pick them up, but Moses. Moses said before God. Oh, nobody was able to do it. Only Moses. Moses says before God, go ahead. How is it possible for a human being to erect it? Uh, this, uh, uh, this tabernacle. tabernacle. God replied, you work with your hand. Moses appeared uh, to be erecting, hmm. and it arose by itself. This is the meaning of what it says. The tabernacle was set up. It was set up by itself. It was set up by itself. That's why the Torah says the tabernacle was set up, and then the Torah says Moses set it up. It's a contradiction. So Moses says, "Why they brought it to me? Now why, I, how was Moses supposed to put it up? Okay, he's strong, he's, he's tall, but this kind of beams." Then Hashem says, "You do it. You do as much as you can. I will help you." That's what it's all about. This is the finger on the rock story. The finger on the rock, yeah, it's a, it's a different story, but there it's, you just put a, a finger. Here, here you need it more than a finger, as we're going to see. This explanation comes from the Midrash. Uh, Tanchome. Yeah. Okay. You want to read the first paragraph? The five-year-old Torah student learns that Rashi the five-year-old Torah student, the Rebbe used to say, Rashi said that this commentary is to a five-year-old kid who goes to Heidel to learn to understand the Bible. And the Rebbe believed that everything in the Rashi has to be that a little kid can understand. And if it's not, he may truly understand. And the idea is that everything you teach Torah, it has to be to such a level that even a child can understand. Go ahead. Rashi said that the assembly of the tabernacle happened miraculously. No human could, no human being could erect it by himself because of the heaviness of the planes, and no human was strong enough to put them up. But Moses, how did Moses possess the necessary strength? 
Moses said before God, how is it possible for a human being to erect it, the tabernacle? God replied, you work with your hands. Moses appeared to be erecting it, and it arose by itself. In other words, Moshe had only to busy himself with the walls of the tabernacle, as they stood up by themselves by force of God's By the force of God's miracle. That we just read in the Rashi. Okay. There are two points here. On the one hand, no human being possessed the ability to erect the tabernacle and was erected by God miraculously. Human hands only appear to be involved. On the other hand, despite the fact that it was actually assembled by God, the credit is given to a human being for setting it up. As Rashi said, since Moses had done no work in the tabernacle, God left for him the task of erecting it. No human was strong enough to put them up but Moses. In other words, despite the assembly taking place miraculously, Moses is considered to be the one who assembled it, simply because he made himself appear to be doing so. It means to say there is a combination here. On one hand, God did it. And what do you need? Then everybody can do it. When was this happening? Was this after the two months or after the four months? Was uh, this on Hanukkah? That no, he was, it was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. So they didn't really build it. They, they didn't put, they, no. They just have it they assembled. They assembled, like they yes. unpackaged the box from yes. Amazon. Yes, yes, They got yes. instructions. Exactly. And then they called them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. My wife does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> now you yeah. know why you're Moses? Close. <laughs> 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 In your own family, you're Moses. <laughs> No, that one's <laughs> <laughs> wonderful concept. He's a hero. Yeah, there you go. Thanks, <laughs> Ed. Okay, <laughs> Danny, you want to continue? Yes, regular miracle. A regular miracle. Here we discovered another fact which is often overlooked uh, the issue of the tabernacle heaviness and the inability of human beings to assemble it. It was relevant not only at the tabernacle's first assembly, but also. Every single time the Levites needed to disassemble, transport, and reassemble the tabernacle at the new encampment. You see, what happened there, yeah, Moses can pick this up, can put it together the first time, but what happened the next times? Obviously, it was a miracle every time when they put it together because it was very, very heavy. The regular, it would be, the, then it looks like it was, the Rebbe says, it looks like it was a miracle every time when they did it. Usually, the Levites used to do it. Oh, they had special wagons. It was, very, yeah, it was very heavy. No, no, that's ark. But the rest of the things, it was basically they they had special wagons. It was very heavy. That's what you're going to learn. How the how this worked? That's yeah. exactly the question. You're right. How this worked exactly? So it was it was so heavy in the desert. We must conclude. Okay, you continue. We must conclude that at every occasion of disassembling and the assembling, it was God who stood up the walls by the way of miracles. The Leviites would act as if they were assembling it, and why it would, would actually rise on its own miraculously. First time to put this, to put it together, you needed Moses. But after Moses did it, every time when the Levites did it, the Levites were the one who were in charge of the building of the temple, of the putting it together every time. The coins were serving in the temple. The Levites were the, like the custodians. They were the one who were moving and taking care of everything. And the Israelites were just spectators. Hmm. Go ahead. This does not contradict the verse which states clearly, when the tabernacle is moved, the Levites shall take it down, and when it is to remain in one place, they shall set it up, which indicates that the tabernacle's assembly is the task of the Levites. 
being that the Levites were the ones to occupy themselves with this matter, the act is attributed to them, just as the first assembly is attributed to Moses. As said, although it stood up by itself, it is still attributed to Moses, who acted as if he was assembling. Then just when Moses assembled was with the end of God, with the help of God, so when the Levites did it, even they brought many people together, and it was probably much easier than one person. When Moses assembled it, he did it by himself. How long did we have this thing for, before it was gone? Four years? No, it was much more. What happened is like this. When they were in the desert, they were for four years with this. Then they went to Gilgal. They were for 14 years in the Gilgal, as they entered the land of Israel. And then they moved to Shiloh. In Shiloh, they built the walls from stone, but the roof was the same roof as in the, te- in the portable temple, made out of material, of skin. And this, and this roof, and this, the temple in Shiloh stood for 369 years. The, the beams were not used in Shiloh, but the roof was used in Shiloh, just to make a statement that it's a portable, it's not the ultimate place. They're still temporary. It was 369 years. Then basically, until, almost until they came to Jerusalem, it was still the work of this temple. This was, a very, uh, this was a small temple. I mean, it was a, a portable thing. It was not big. I saw the place in Shiloh, they showed the walls. It's not big. Later in Jerusalem, someone built this huge temple and this. But here it was not. What was the dimensions of it? I mean, what, what was it for? Is it for 160? 20 by 60? Cubits, right? Cubits, I don't remember. I have to check. Yeah. It's not, not, uh, it's uh, that's 90 feet by by 30 feet. Something like that. It's not small. It's not small. Yeah, I mean, it's not small. No, I understand. But it's city, that's bad. I mean, that's huge. It's bigger than a suitcase, yeah. Rabbi, in Shiloh, the foundation was built, but did they build the walls out of stone as well? The walls are out of stone. Yeah, for sure. Okay. 69 and 14 makes it I don't remember the you remember the measurement? I don't remember of the te- of the sanctuary. Four hundred and thirteen years. What? Off the off in the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And then did the beams be eventually become part of the temple in Jerusalem? No. No, they just Nobody really knows where they are, but in general the belief is that Talmud says that anything that Moses did stays forever. It was not destroyed. It, it's somewhere. Okay, this is so far so good. We know that the temple was complicated to build. It was very heavy. Moses did it one time with the help of God. Then the Levites did it every time they put it together. Here comes the real issue. Michael, you're coming for the real issue. Please. <laughs> All right. Another query now comes to mind regarding the difficulty in assembling the tabernacle. Although it may not be asked by the five-year-old, it will perturb a mature student who knows world history. In Egypt today, there are great pyramids built in exceptional large stones, which have existed for thousands of years. The widely accepted theory that these pyramids were built by the Israelites when they were slaves in Egypt. We may draw support to this theory from a verse. Uh, the Israelites were to build up the cities Pitham and Ramses. Ramses as supply centers for Pharaoh which Russia translated, they strengthened them and fortified them to serve as store cities. Store cities must be built secure and strong to last many years. Indeed, the pyramids are still standing today despite being built thousands of years. Looks like the Rebbe is accepting the belief, the history that says, then, I mean, it was known, that the Jewish people built the pyramids. They were slaves. And to build such things, you need slaves. Regular human beings will never do it. 
and there is even pictures are on, on, on the pyramids how the slaves were building it, like engraved. Anybody today, you can give yourself a tour on the pyramids from, uh, from your, on your desk, from your, on, your, on the internet, a beautiful tour, you can see it, how huge it is. It's like unbelievable how big, nobody will ever be able to understand. They cannot, they can never figure out how they move such stones and put it up one of the, in one or the other. And it was built, and the Rebbe says, one of the proof, you can bring a kind of a proof to this, that the Jewish people built the pyramids because they built the cities of Pitom and Ramses. And they built store houses, store, uh, houses uh, cities, and fortified cities. And it was very big. Then that the Jewish people built this kind of buildings. So, how? How were the pyramids built from such giant stones? How were those giant stones moved and transported from the stone quarries? We are talking about the phenomenally large stones. The answer is simply the many people worked on it together. In fact, the hieroglyphics uh, pictureize many slaves tied to ropes pulling the stones in unison. Yeah, that's the picture they said. The Rebbe speaks about that. The, one person cannot do it. Ten people, what? A hundred people? Fifty will die, but it's going to be done. If they want it, they want to, be, to make it done, they will do it. They will do it. Go ahead. Go, you want, want to say something? Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. And then the normal process was that they've done it in many places. They put the rocks on a body of like a sands or pebbles, and they put oil on it. And they would slide it on on oil. They wouldn't carry it on their shoulders. Uh, obviously, the slide, yeah, I understand slide what you're saying. oily, greasy surface, so they would slide fast and easy. That's how they would get there. It would be a little loud for me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, 50 people, 100 people pulled it, they would move faster than three mm. people. Go ahead, continue. This you're right. Mm -hmm. This presents us with an obvious question. Each one of the pyramid stones weigh in, um, infinitely more than the boards of the tabernacle. How is it possible that those same Jews who over so many years built the pyramids of Egypt could not get together and put up the tabernacle. Why couldn't a few people do it together? Why was it necessary to have a miracle of having it stand up on its own? Jews who build, who build the pyramids have a problem with building, with putting together a temple? What happened to them? They came out to Egypt, they started from Egypt, they started to eat the manna, they relaxed in Florida and finished. Mm -hmm. It's true they took a year and a half between the, they stopped working the hard labor in Egypt all the way to the time for building the temple. You know, they stopped the hard labor, labor stopped in Egypt six months before they left. The moment it started the plagues, the Jewish people were already free people. That's why they didn't want to leave Egypt so fast. You're free people, love is good. You forget very quick, you know, people have a very short memory. Mm. And took another year until they, build the, until they actually put together the temple. But still, people build the pyramids. But they have a problem with what Rashi says. The people couldn't put it together. They went to Moses. says, Moses, you do it. For sure, Moses and his own couldn't do it. He needed God's help. What do you mean you couldn't do it together? People build the pyramids so strong and so powerful. Cannot do this, such a little thing. What happened exactly? Why we needed God's help? That's the question. Okay, maybe you'll give us the answer. The answer is that they definitely had the ability to carry phenomenally large weights and build storage cities, but there was an important condition. 
It enabled uh, back-breaking labor. It entailed back-breaking lab uh, labor. It means to say, yeah, the Jews could do it. But how they could do it? If to, they have to walk like harsh labor. It has to be the, they to kill themselves. Then they would be able to do it. Yeah, they could do it. If you have a, a, a gunpoint, gun gun you can make people do everything. The fact, go ahead. The fact that the Jews built the pyramids with such large stones was only because Pharaoh enslaved them and forced them to do uh, back-breaking labor. He made the force them, but God is not the same story. Want to read? Not for God. When we speak of God's commandment to build a tabernacle, he definitely didn't command that it be done with backbreaking labor. To the contrary, at the very outset of the commands regarding the tabernacle, we find the directive, take my offering from everyone whose heart impels him to give. Every generous and harder person shall bring it. It had to be voluntarily and happily done, not forced and certainly not with backbreaking labor. You see, here, what he says, yeah, we can force the Jews to do it, but that's not what, the, what God wants. God is like a loving father. He tells his child, I want you to build me a room in your apartment, an in-law suite. I should be able to come there. God doesn't want the Jews to suffer. The Torah is not made to make us suffer, to give us Torahs. God wants us to do some things, but he wants us to do it in the most pleasant and nice and kind way. That number one, we sit by the temple. Here, God says, oh, when God started fundraising for the temple, he says, everyone should give as much as his heart inspired, inspires. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to force the Jews. He could say, everyone should give a thousand to a shekel, whatever it is, and people would have to give and finish. God wanted it should be built with love. This is the main difference between the temple in the desert and the temple in Jerusalem. When King Solomon built the temple, he texted everybody. And, and then he had to send them to bring the, the, the wood from, from uh, the cedar wood, the, Lebanon. from Lebanon, exactly, from Tzor and, and uh, other cities there. Then he, he had to bring it from there. Then the Jewish people were resenting the building of the temple. That's a sad part, because they were forced to it. There was, was an amount of money how much they gave, how much they were supposed to, to go to work. I think it was... Two, three months on the road, and they came back, then they changed them. It was a very, very hard job. Seven years he was building the temple. It was a beautiful temple. But you know what? The Jewish heart, the heart of the Jewish people was not invested in it. They were forced into it. It was like the war now in Russia. Even the Russian soldiers are not for it. Then God, but God, building a temple, God wants, it. God wants the Jewish people to do it with love. He doesn't want to make him walk like this. Sure, they could build up the temple, but he doesn't want this kind of a temple. And he bring, that brings up, makes a point. Continue. Uh, think, about, think about it. God does not accept a stolen calf as a sacrifice. If the theft of one animal cannot be acceptable to God, even as a one-time sacrifice, certainly he does not want back-breaking labor, which is the theft of a person's freedom and abilities to be the source of the very tabernacle in which sacrifices will be offered on a regular basis. This obviously is not God's will. Okay, that's the idea. There is a law you cannot bring to God, a sacrifice that you, sto you stole an animal, and you bring it to God. God says, I don't need the sacrifice. A sacrifice that was stolen, I don't need. 
should just know for charity, you're not allowed to accept charity for somebody who is making a shady business. Because you, it's a, if, he, if he stole the money from somebody else, you cannot take it. Then now... Unless you prefer not to know, right? Exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> no, you assume that the money that he gives you is the kosher is the kosher money. <laughs> the money that he's buying drugs with is the is the is the other money. But if you know for sure that this is his main job, main business, you're not allowed to take it. Then Hashem, it says the Rebbe says, if he's not allowed to bring one by by stealing the freedom of people. Is not less, is worse, much worse than, than, than taking one ship from, from another person. Then forcing people for harsh labor, God doesn't need, God doesn't need a temple from, that comes from suffering of human beings. It doesn't bring God any, any pleasure. If people were forced into it, God doesn't need it. And that's a very important uh, concept to, to remember. God doesn't want something that people resent and they don't like it. You know, there is, a, it's, there is an interesting law that says that if you, it's not exactly the same, but if you do a mitzvah, then you regret that you did a mitzvah, you lose the reward for it. Because if you regret it, it means that said, okay, then I don't need it. I don't want something that you're forced to do. Then the same thing is here. God doesn't need a temple. God cannot sit in a temple that was built from forced labor, from harsh labor, from people who didn't want to do it and to break your back. When you, when you think about God as a father, a parent, everything makes sense. The second temple was also the forced labor? Or? No, no. It was, it was actually with enthusiasm of the Jews. They came. It was, it was two, two steps. One, this time they started to build and clean up and build that altar. Then, then Ahasuerus stopped it. Then they continued to build it later. It was not forced labor. But later, uh, what's his name? Erdus, Ered, Ered built a temple. He, re he renovated the temple. And he was a terrible human king. Terrible human being. Okay, continue. Superhuman powers? Please. Mm -hmm. There is another option, that God should endow them with superhuman powers to... It, to be able to erect the tabernacle without engaging in backbreaking labor. However, this is not a viable. God can make and make a miracle. God can do everything, right? And why he need all people to be bothered? He can make a miracle that somehow the temple will stand by itself. However, this is not a viable option because God desires our fulfillment of Torah and its commandments to follow the natural order. We need to understand something. God created nature not to overwrite it. <clears throat> He created the rules of humanity, of the world, the rules of nature, and he wants us to serve God through the rules of nature. Then by miracle, oh, I will not walk and I will not bake matzah. Somehow by miracle, matzahs will show up on my table. God doesn't want it. God wants me in the frame of nature, in the rules of the world, to try to go, to go and to cut the wheat and to, and to make the flour and so on and on, all the steps. God wants us to walk within nature. If it's medical, if it's anything about making a living, God doesn't want you to sit and say, God, send me money. God wants us to do with our own whatever we can do. Then making miracles, miracles are the last thing available. 
If I already, if I already, human being tried everything, then God will make a miracle. But God wants us to do everything in nature, then this is not an option. Why weren't they enthusiastic about doing it? Like, woo, building the temple. Just got us out of Egypt after all those years. Seems like, you know, because they were Jews and were just... They are, why shouldn't they be enthusiastic? Well, I don't know. Work. No, I'm serious. Work. What else to do? I mean, there's nothing else to do. You're wandering around a freaking desert all day. Mm-hmm. You're sitting... You can relax. Well, they've been relaxing for two years. That's, first of all, there is many explanations for it. But number one, when Moses comes with his love, loving voice, and he tells the Jewish people, (laughs) he tells them, God said he wants to live among you. You need to understand. They just were at Mount Sinai. And then God says, what you saw on Mount Sinai, I I want to come to you. It's not going to be a one-time event. Mount Sinai event was an unbelievable thing. It was an unbelievable experience. Then... God told them, you know what? You can have the same experience right here, every day. You'll come to a temple and you'll feel the same, same experience or, or the same or almost the same what it was at Mount Sinai. Now after they tasted Mount Sinai, they won it. Then they wanted this feeling. They were very excited to get this feeling. I can tell you that if you, you know why? You mentioned it, I think, in other classes. I don't remember what I said, where and what and when. <laughs> but... Why Jewish people have experiences, spiritual experiences in life? You know, some people have it when they give birth, usually women. Some people tell me, some guys tell me when I, when I made a breeze for my son, I was, it, it was such a spiritual experience. He said he was crying all, the whole breeze. Other people have it on Yom Kippur. We have like moments of like connection and eye level that we don't know even where it's coming. And five minutes later, like the light went off. I went boom. Now it's back to the same bad behavior, the same obnoxiousness that I had yesterday. Then what's the point? The point is to know that you can be better, that there is something above this. No, it's all about money. There's something more in life. And God gives you a taste, and he tells you you have something to look forward. That's why there is tzaddikim. Why God wanted a Moses and then a Joshua and then Isaiah and then tzaddikim in all generations. God wants to show us that we can get better. We can go a little higher. And so, oh, this is all ridiculous. It's for the books. It's never, not possible. It will never happen. It can happen. God gave them the taste of Mount Sinai. They wanted it. Now there is a second explanation. In the between, they messed up. They built a golden calf. Moses came and said... Let's build a temple for God. That was an atonement for the golden calf, you understand? The guilt of the golden calf was so big, they were dying to wash the off by building something with gold for God. But you know, in the donations that they gave to the temple, we read in, the, in this parasha, there was not enough gold. Like you said, how much gold they needed in the temple? Because they spent up a, little, a lot of the gold for the golden calf, they run out of gold. Moses had to find gold from other places. The gold was not enough. Everything else they had plenty. But gold they did not have enough. But this is the reasons why they were, why they were so excited about building the temple. And, because, and number one, it's also when you tell people you can do as much as you want. You already got them on your side. I don't force you. I'm telling you, there's a temple. We're going to build a temple. Hashem says, says anybody should give what God, what, what inspires them. And you know what? We mentioned it a few times. So we were the first one to be excited about it, the women. And only the men came later. You know, it was not comfortable. You know, my wife is going to give us. I'm not showing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't look good. We were your yachts. Your wife came here and did everything. Then it became an excitement of the whole 
of the whole community. And when they finished to build the temple, they couldn't wait until the month of Nisan, when it be the erection of the temple, put it together. Then it was a very amazing experience. Rosh Chodesh Nisan, that's, one of the re that's the reason why from the first day of the month of Nisan, in the synagogues, we don't say Tachnon, because that was the day they inaugurated the temple. And for 13 days, every day, another leader of one of the sacrifices represent sac represents a tribe of sacrifices. That was a very, very uh, cel big celebration in the t and when they uh, built the temple, when they in inaugurated the small temple. And God was there. It was such an intimate feeling. It was a small temple, relatively. And God was there, the Jewish people in the desert. And the first time they really built a relationship, these 40 years, was not time to go to the land of Israel. It was a time of bonding between God and the Jewish people. They learned Torah. They did some celebration of holidays. It was more a time to get used to the God. And God, it's like a couple, you know, in a, in, in a couple's marriage. It's written the first year. In Jewish law, it's called Shanari Shona. The first year. The first year you don't go to the army. The first year you don't do anything. First year you're supposed to be with your wife. Honey, what do you want? <laughs> right. And you, because, really, I mean, I can tell you for myself, when you had nothing to do with your wife until you got married, then you need to get, you, you get, to get used to, to each other. Not like today you live for two and a half years. Then the, <laughs> the, the, the boy comes to ask, is the father of the bride's permission to marry her? Mm -hmm. Really? After two and a half years? That's nice. <laughs> Whoa, you came to ask me permission now? You better marry her. <laughs> but in essence, you need one year. The four years in the desert was this Shanari Shana, the first year. The Jewish people had to get used to, to God. With all the complaints, with all the problems that they had in the four years, the question, the this, where is the water, where is this? They needed to go through, and only then they were ready to enter the land of Israel, go on their own, without manna, without, without the support from God, constant support with God being in front of them. They had to spread all over the land of Israel. There was a temple in Jerusalem, or in Shiloh before that, but they had to fight, they had to take, they had to take measures on their own. They had to start to fight for themselves. Then the first four years was the, was the band, the connection. That was the desert. That was, as I mentioned, I think last week, there was a the Talmudic st statement that says, in, in, the desert, in the desert was a small temple that a rabbi gave an example. He says, one as a guy said, when we were in love, even the edge of the sword was enough for both of us. Now, when you're not so in love, a bed that's 40 feet wide is not wide enough. You understand? Then in the, in the, that was an example to see the difference between the temple in the desert and the temple in Jerusalem. The temple in the desert was so small, the, the tabernacle, the portable sanctuary, and there was a love God was always there. In the, in the temple in Jerusalem was not the same relationship. That's why they were so excited about it. What's the lesson for us? Okay. Uh, you're supposed to read? Who's supposed to read? I was reading, but I Oh, you read it? Okay, then finish, please. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> In light of these two points, that A, no backbreaking work could be prescribed, and B, all work must be in the natural process, there was no other option for the assembly of the tabernacle other than the Israelites doing their part, acting as if they were putting it up according to their natural abilities without engaging in backbreaking labor, and then it being actually stood up by God Himself. God says to them, You do what you can, the rest will walk out. And that's the lesson that you're going to read. This teaches us an important lesson and uh, moral in our divine service. The divine service of, the, of a Jew 
is to make the world a dwelling place for God. This process does not demand backbreaking labor. While it is, while it is true that uh, at certain times a Jew must be ready for self-sacrifice, this is not the regular order of Jewish life. The regular order prescribes that a Jew does what he is capable of. You work with your hand, and then the Holy One, lest he completes all the missing steps in a super, supernatural way. Okay, it says something very important. We are, what means to build a temple? Everyone has a temple, he has to build, make the world a better place, a place for God. God doesn't want from us to drive ourselves, it's work like, oh, it's break, breaking labor. God says, you do what you can. God doesn't want us with the mitzvahs to suffer. There's no mitzvah to suffer. Some people like to suffer when they do mitzvahs, but that's not a mitzvah. That's not an obligation. Give an example. Um, people say, oh, when women, Jew, religious women wear the shaitl, then it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, what is called, they call it, it's not, it's not the real thing. The real thing is to cover your head. If a shaitl, it looks so nice, just like your own ear, maybe even nicer. Then what's the point? The point is God wants you to cover your ear. How you do it in the most beautiful, that doesn't want to, the woman should be ugly, should not be, should lose your beauty. God wants you to be the most beautiful person, but you should cover your, your head. That means to say is Jewish law is not here to make the people suffer, the Jews suffer. So what's the point of covering the head? Yeah, one second, go ahead. When I'm uh, hearing this big break in labor, I think we have to define what is big break in labor. For some people, break, big break in labor is like one hour of reading, you know, like if you... This is true. For some people going to shul once a week is big break in labor. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> you're right. And the point, you're right, you have a good point that everyone is according to his level. And God wants from everyone, do your maximum. We don't want you to suffer, but do your maximum. Why we cover the, the ear? Because the moment you cover your ear, you're making a statement to yourself that you are married. And that's what it's all about. And to others. But it's such a nice, uh, shady, you don't even realize it doesn't make a difference. You have to cover your ear. Then, uh, then uh, the Torah doesn't want us to suffer the same idea of Eruv. You're not allowed to carry outside of your, of your house on Shabbat. But if you do Eruv around, we have Eruv in my house to the shul. I can carry... Oh, but we are, we are not, we are not doing... It's not shortcut. It's not... It's not uh, if, you, if, it's, if it's done the right way and it's kosher, it's okay. God doesn't look for the people to suffer. And that's what you need to understand. We are not here to impose on ourselves suffering or to do, oh, everybody, you know, different between Russian Jews and American Jews, I mentioned that many times. American Jews come in Kippur to show you fast, right? The husband screams there and nudges you on your head for hours. And the rabbi speaks until there is no end. Not <laughs> this rabbi, but many rabbis. <laughs> and then the president comes and gets another speech of 45 minutes. By the time you leave the show, you don't want to come back until next Yom Kippur. <laughs> That's why American Jews hate synagogues. In Russia, when was the main day that everybody came to show? Yom Kippur. No. When you came to show. Yes. No, you didn't come pass over to show either. When you came to show. <laughs> I'll tell you when you came to show. No. Simchas Torah. You were you in Russia, lady? True. 
Simchas Torah. You came dancing, and it was Freilach. Everybody was outside of the shul, drinking and dancing. I read once one of the famous refugees, I forgot his name, um, Mendelovich, one of, no, not Mendelovich, one of the other guys, he says the first time they told him, he was, he was completely assimilated. His friend told him, come with us. He came. He had such a party. It was unbelievable. He said the next time they told him, let's go to shul, he said, sure, I'm going. <laughs> when, you st- when, sh- when shul is an ex- is a happy experience, then you want to come back. And that's what Hashem, Hashem doesn't want us to suffer with Judaism. Hashem wants it should be an enjoyable experience. Judaism should be, then we have to make sure it's an enjoyable experience. Then we want to do it again. Continue. The same philosophy must also be applied in our mundane uh, secular matters. As the Torah said, and God your Lord will bless you in all that you do. You must do what is it? Give your daughter to read, if you don't mind. You must do. What is this one? Incumbent. Okay. You must do what it is incumbent upon you. God commands us that uh, God commands us in the Torah that six days may you work and perform all your labor. The Midrash states that this is a positive commandment. Six days to walk is a positive commandment. You know, it's written in the Torah, I should walk for six days and rest on Shabbos. Now, the mitzvah is not only to rest on Shabbos. According to the Mechil, there is a mitzvah to walk six days. Not like in America, people walk two days a week around. <laughs> they walk six days. Half of the country doesn't walk at all. The other half is walking only three days a week. I mean, many times they said, oh, we have, we have to do the service here at 7 o'clock because people, people go to walk. Then they look around and say, is anybody going to walk here? <laughs> then you have to, what means to say, Hashem wants us to walk. What is to walk? To walk doesn't mean the to schlep uh, tables and chairs, to, to make a difference in, 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 the, in the universe. Continue, I'm sorry. You need to do your part, whatever it is, to create a vessel, and God's blessing will be generated in all that you require. Children, life, health, sustenance, and not only enough to support, yeah, and not only enough to support your basic needs, but with an abundance as well. What the, what, the, what the Rebbe says here is like this. The, co- the combination of the temple is exactly what God wanted. God wanted you should do what you can. You should try the hardest. And then God will give you blessings. It's, if, I sit, if I sit and do nothing, it's not going to happen. If I, do my, if I think I can do it all by myself, it's not going to work either. Oh, I will do it. I will make it. I will do this. <laughs> cannot do anything. God wants the combination, the partnership between human and God, between husband and wife. We are a marriage with God, just like in a couple. The partnership creates a normal home, creates a family. You can create a child only with a partnership of what? The same thing, creating the world, making the world a better place. God wants us to, be, to, to, to do it together. We will do what we can, and then God is going to do what he can. But God will do the rest, so to speak. What God wants from us to walk out. But don't think, oh, I will never be able to do it. Yes, just do. Do yours. You know, many times people say, I will never be able to make it. The answer is, try your best. The rest will come, you'll see. Somehow it's going to work out. Oh, I'm going to have another child. I'm going to not be able to support him. Just have the child. You'll be able to support him. It's going to work out. Do your part. Try your best. The rest in the hand of God. Thank you.